to another episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me as always is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? Doing good. How are you, Jody? I'm working on something musical, so I'm feeling pretty good, too. Well, that's a good, that's a good day when you yeah. get to do that. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Today, we're doing almost like a follow-up piece on what we did last episode. We talked about MIDI, and we're going to delve in a little bit more into that, and we're going to talk about editing MIDI drums and programming yes. MIDI drums. Exactly. This was brought on by your recent excursions into some old remixing or yes. remixing some old tracks, I should say. Yep. And some issues that you had. Instant issues. revelations, not even instant revelations, but revelations on how to tweak. Right. Today, when you do your tracks and when you're writing and composing, how often do you program by hand your drums? Because we have some great tools now. To, we to have great do it, tools but. now. So, yeah, I don't really do a ton of programming. I do a lot more tweaking than I do programming. When I'm doing that, the usual intent, depending on where this is going, for an artist thing, if it's for me, I will program it out so that I can give it to a drummer and say, this is where I'm going with this. You play it. <laughs> right. Well, in a perfect world, that's what you want. But sometimes stylistically, that's not what it calls for. So right. that's not always the best thing, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, For production thing, it's generally programming it out and thinking, okay, this is the beat that I want. And if I can't find it in one of the awesome tools that we have now, then I'm going to write it out and then perform it by hand, yeah. Yeah. which is slow, but... It can be done. You get exactly what you want, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. When you're doing the automatic route, you're primarily using Drummer and Logic. Yeah, it's a launching I point. Am. Yeah. There are some good jump-off points, and there's a lot of flexibility in being able to manipulate that drummer, so to speak, or the drummers that they have, where you can mess with the swing, you can mess with the feel, all before they even play. And even by making slight tweaks to some of the settings, you can mess how they play fills and all of that stuff. So it's really quite something. From there, I take the playing, turn it into MIDI and use it somewhere else. Go from there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it can be a good starting point. I have to say that it took me a while to warm up to the idea of the Logic Drummer mm -hmm. because I felt that the way that they implemented it was kind of dumb and just started okay. because they had like, the names of the drummers and, oh, Stu is in an indie band and he worries about <laughs> credibility. It's like, give me a fucking break, you know, D just give sure. me whatever. But if you can ignore that, it's a pretty cool tool, especially to get ideas down quickly. Yes, I now, don't disagree with that. Yeah, I am actually one of those sadists that likes to program <laughs> by hand. A lot of times. I Don't yep. get me wrong. I do use like Logic Drummer for ideas sometimes. And I'm also an avid Superior Drummer user. I mentioned yes. that a lot. So those are my go-tos generally. I like to start off when I do parts because I generally hear a part in my head that I kind of want to get at. And sure. I'm not super comfortable playing all the parts on the keyboard at once. That would just be a mess more than anything else. So I tend to lay down kick and snare patterns first. Okay. As most people tend to do. Yeah. Even with MPCs and other type of drum machines, it's generally easy to do part by part than it is to play the entire thing 
with multiple fingers at once. Yeah. But some of those guys with NPCs, though, they're, they're like crazy into doing that, and they got that down. I am oh, not yeah. that guy. So no, I'm not that guy either. It's yeah, impressive so, when you can do that. Absolutely. But I'm definitely like a kick and snare kind of guy. Sounds obvious, but stylistic choices that we make are obviously dependent on the song. I scale down on the amount of kicks I use because that's something that <laughs> I have a tendency to perhaps overdo just to get something that works with the song. Uh -huh. And I mentioned kicks there because that can be something that we have to really pay attention to. What I mean about that is if there is a part already down, let's say that it's a guitar part or a bass track, uh -huh. we have to make sure that it works while replacing those kicks. So it actually makes sense in a musical way and not just like, oh, here's a cool groove. Uh -huh. Yeah, that works great, but Nice groove, but it doesn't work with the track. So it sounds obvious. Save it and put it in another song. There you go. Yeah. That's where I start. Then sometimes a part calls for like little ghost snares and things, uh -huh. like depending on where they're going to be. But I generally don't put those in now, so I'll leave those out. But then I, I turn my attention to hi-hats and if there's rides or crash rides and all that kind of stuff and, and start tweaking with that. Right. If you're doing it by hand, is that kind of like your workflow as well? Or Yes, very similar. Kick, snare, hi-hat, crashes Yeah, in that order. Right. Crashes to me come a little bit later, actually, because I'm starting to think about beginning of sections or after fills and things. But mm -hmm. now here's something where I think just about any drummer will agree with me on this, is that when people are sloppy with their hi-hat programming – Mm -hmm. it's a dead giveaway that it's it's a program part. Yeah. Yeah. I won't disagree with that. Biggest giveaway, let's say that you're doing like a 16th note pattern, mm -hmm. right? Let's say for sake of argument, you have a snare on two and four where you a lot of times you would hear just there's those 16th notes on the hi-hat. They're just going. But you have to move that right hand to get the snare. So <laughs> it, it ends up changing those patterns. Those can feel like... Well, that, that's a glaring sort of like amateurish kind of a mistake to do because we don't think well, about it. So you say, oh, yeah. it sounds cool. It's not realistic if we're going for realism. Whether or not you want to be real, that's a big part of what you're programming, right? Sure. Some people don't care, so they do it anyway. Yeah. Stylistically there, I think, if you're doing 80s synth track, you just want those hi-hats going and it's not necessarily – like a realism type of vibe, right? So in that mm -hmm. case, yeah, by all means, keep them going there. And, and it well, I'd say the same cool. for EDM and hip-hop and other things. Sure. Anything where it's, I guess, more electronics-based? Yeah. Doesn't matter. Yeah. For the realism on that. Right. So I go into hi-hat parts then and take special care and make it sound good. Today with drum samplers and instruments that we have, there's generally so many different hi-hat hits in there. Not yep. just velocity layers, but, but different types of opening of the hi-hats and all this kind of stuff and mm -hmm. paying attention to those. So that would be my next step. And then rides on top of that. If there's a section, maybe a pre-course, you go to the ride or whatever happens to be. Sure. What's another thing that is a big no-no for you when people are programming their parts? If the thought is towards realism... 
you can't have more than four things going on at once on the drum yeah. kit and maximum such. yes <laughs> cuz that's all you have for limbs you have four limbs so only four things can happen one of the things that i can tell about if somebody is programming something is the way drummers tend to keep time the hi hat is often being controlled by the foot Mm -hmm. as a quarter note pulse or an eighth note pulse. Those hits aren't nearly as loud, but they're in there. And then you mentioned snare ghost notes. Those things are also things that drummers do to keep the rolling vibe of whatever groove that they are doing. Absolutely. Another thing to pay attention to is not have everything smashing at 127 on the volume scale of the current MIDI standard. Yeah. (laughs) That's a dead giveaway that it is not, real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, what you're getting out there as well as with, with the four limbs, right? that's not always necessarily true because, you, again, with that 16th note thing, you think, well, yep. that's not four hits, right? It can be done. Well, it can't be done that way because when they're playing 16th notes, unless they're rapid fire with their left hand, right? You got to make sure that a drummer can actually play the part. I sure. know what you're getting at, but if it's it's extremely difficult to play the hi-hat and the snare at the same time on a 16th note pattern. Right. Not saying that somebody probably can't do it, because we've probably all seen those guys on YouTube. No, a but dude generally... from Spain that can do almost anything on the fucking drums. The guy's amazing. Yeah. But, but he's a rare case. Yeah. I would even stretch that further as into the next part that I move into at this point when I have mm-hmm. like sort of like my arrangement, my group mapped out is I start moving into fills. Sure. Right. Whether that's just going in between sections or whatever, or just points of interest, hitting certain spots in the song, wherever it's called for. But here, again, make sure that it's something that a drummer can actually play. Yep. Right. Taking into considerations, you know, whether it's tom rolls or whatever happens to be. Is that something a drummer would do? I know I'm not alone in this, but I pay special attention to how the drummer would play with their left and the right hand when it's time to kind of switch to a different tom, let's say. Right. Right. So whether it's a triplet pattern or whatever it happens to be, but just doing like a little bit of thought into that. For me, what really helps is, although I'm not a drummer, but if I imagine sitting behind a kit, how would I actually execute that? Right. And chances are, if I can do it, a drummer can do it. So uh, that's a good measure. One would hope, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When it comes to fails, do you have a go-to method that you do or do you generally? No. No? I don't. And I would think more along the lines of musicality than I do straight up fills, if that makes sense. More like a Ringo star, even though I don't want to even compare to that because that guy did what he did and he was very fucking good at it or a jerry gaskill the guy Mm. from king's x his parts are generally so very musical with how they do their fills and what they're doing in their grooves i think more along those lines when i'm doing fills is not typical of how most drummers would think when they're doing fills yeah yeah that's something that i've asked drummer friends about advice. Mm-hmm. It could be little things like, well, what would you tend to do in this situation? Would you play this or what would you consider? You always have a kick behind a crash hit, for example. Little things mm-hmm. like that just to make it more 
what a drummer would do. Because sure. I think just as we're learning an instrument, whether that's piano, guitar, whatever happens to be, we have to put a little bit of thought into how drummers play, I think. Listening to your favorite drummers, like you mentioned, like Ringo, it's like mm -hmm. super musical guy, right? Right. And then taking ideas from that, it's like, oh, I would never think of doing a fill like this or even a part like this because, again, I'm not a drummer, right? So listen to stuff and take ideas from there and yep. make sure that it's doable and it sounds cool, right? Because that, that can certainly open up avenues when you kind of like programming your parts. Now we got a structure. We got parts that we're kind of happy with. We've done some fills. Now, what did you do if you're in this position? Work on humanizing it. Yep. So that everything feels more human rather than mechanical. Though if it's something dance related, it probably requires that mechanicalness. <laughs> it needs mechanical, human. yeah. Yeah. The idea though for most of the stuff that I deal with is human-oriented performance. And that requires changing where hits go minutely in terms of where in the timeline it's hitting. It also requires working with the velocity of how things are hit yeah. as well. That's a big one. Those are yeah. the two things. It's just the slight timing discrepancies and the velocities. Yeah. Let's start with the timing discrepancies there mm -hmm. when we're changing that because that's obviously at this point, that's what I do as well. I go for more of the humanizing feel here. How much are you generally moving stuff? Because this is usually measured in like ticks, right? In logic, it's measured yeah. in ticks and those ticks can vary. I wouldn't be moving them very much. You're talking maybe 10 maximum. Yeah, me too. Like 10 plus or minus whatever happens to be. Right. right. Yeah. And what about velocity levels? Same concept here, depending on the part of how hard it needs to be hit. Verses, I don't think, generally need to be hit as hard as, say, choruses. Do you still do that on both kick and snare type of thing or whatever it is? Yeah. Yeah? All the drums get that value because the drummer is not going to play it full 100% power the entire time through a whole song. Some songs might call for it, but it's very rare. Mm. There's a little bit of a stylistic difference there, I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you in that. If you have a chorus that's going to be like real slam, and it, it's nice to be able to take that up, just even if it's just a little bit, mm -hmm. I think. And, uh, and then to answer that, it's usually a range of probably about 15 velocity levels. So if max is 127, I might be going down to about 112-ish in that range. Maybe if it's in a particular section, it might only be about eight different velocities in there. Yeah. And this is something, we, we talked about this before. Today, obviously, with the tools that we have and, and whatever engine you're using to, to trigger the samples, like th there are so many more samples in each kit piece. Yes. So you get that dynamics more than, you know, early stuff, it might have been like soft and a hard hit, right? Mm -hmm. And then it would just be different levels between that. So now with the velocity levels of being increased to at least, I would say, probably in certain cases, about 20 to 30 per kit piece, 
you can mm-hmm. get a lot more realism and dynamics out of a performance. Yes. You mentioned that having everything like slammed at 127, that's another thing that to me is a big no-no. But I think when people start out, it's easy to do that because we're like, oh, oh this yeah. sounds cool. What's that? Because you want things to sound consistent, of course. It's like that consistency factor right there. Is a, just hit it as hard as you can all the time. Yeah. Is it, <laughs> why doesn't it sound like a real drummer? Well, because that generally doesn't happen. Right. That, that's the first thing you want to start playing with velocities. On the flip side of that, so when we learn that lesson, people tend to have too big a discrepancies in their velocity it can happen, levels. Sure. Right? Yeah. And then it just sounds weird and it's like a disjointed forms. Right. Yeah. That's another one. While we're talking about this and, and placement and things, a couple of tips I'll throw in here that I've discovered that makes a huge deal. And you kind of mentioned this when we're talking about the remixes you've done. Mm-hmm. When things are not exactly hitting at the same time. Yes. Right. A couple of things that are really, really good is when you're hitting two symbols at the same time. Uh-huh. pull one back in time a little bit and delay the other one a little bit. Because chances are that when they're hitting it, yeah, it's going to seem like they're hitting them at exactly the same time. But if you spread those out a little bit, maybe just like five to ten on each side, ten on each side is probably too much. It adds that realism to, to hits and yes, you can actually hear that it is two symbols being hit. Uh-huh. So that's one like little cool hit. Then obviously, let's say that there's a snare roll or a tom roll. Velocities are super important, right? Yep. Drastically changes the feel if you're, which one am I hitting first? Is that one going to be louder or harder hit than the second one or vice versa? Yep. Drastically changes the feel there. So velocities are important. That's a whole bunch of programming it yourself, either via keyboard or map where you're just mousing them in. A few things to think about when you're doing this. You recently been doing some remixes, as mentioned several times, where things were recorded with an electronic kit and were done with V drums. Yes. What were the first couple of things that you had to pay attention to when you were starting to deal with all that data? Because that's a lot of data that comes in <laughs> through those pads yeah. and things. And some of it useful, some not. I had at the time created a template within Logic that allowed me to channel each drum and its appropriate controller data that went with it. Some of them had it, some of them didn't. The most prominent being the hi-hat, the other one being the snare, and then the other beyond that is the ride. All that data is filtering through these transformers and logic that shifted it to individual MIDI tracks that were for a particular drum. I did that so that I could control the data a little bit better than the first album that was recorded without that template. Everything had to end up getting separated and then hopefully not getting lost in a time shuffle if I were to copy data to move it to a new track, so to speak, which can be easy to do if you're not keeping an eye on things. You can really mess things up if you don't keep that data in line, so to speak. Is it a tool or is it a weapon, right? (laughs) Yes, it's a tool or weapon. Part of the data is the actual note hit that channels to a particular drum to be hit. For most things, if you're using GM, which is standing for general MIDI, they have specific drums for specific notes. As you've noted in Superior Drummer, they go way beyond that because they have way more hits to deal with. 
Some drum plugins also have an option for V-drums as they are generally thought of as the most common electronic kit. So they have a setting for that. The V-drums have a type of data that you can use for different hits. Thus, you need that to be playing back appropriately. The biggest factor to the V-drums that makes it sound the most real in what you can do is the way it works with the hi-hat and the foot pedal that it has. It's spitting out an enormous amount of controller data to tell the hi-hat how open and closed it is. Yeah, because most... all of that, correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, just to interrupt here, but, but all mm -hmm. that controller data is still triggering off the same key on your keyboard. So it's not like, well, it is triggering a different sample, but it's not moving from like F sharp one to G sharp one, that kind of thing. It's still the same thing, but then the expression information is actually just triggering the same sample. Is that how that works? I'm not sure how Roland does it inside their own head. The answer to your question is not 100% the way that you explained it. The hi-hat on the V-drum kit has multiple notes. I can't remember what they are off the top of my head, whether it's like F-sharp and G-sharp and A-sharp or whatever it is. There's three main ones, and then there mm -hmm. are two that are way off in another location. And those control where on the V-drum hi-hat head it's hit, whether it's open, whether it's a foot close, whether it's a shank, whether it's a bell. I think there's a bell one. I'm not sure. They all relate to each other as a group. And on top of that, there is the pedal data that is the continuous controller of how open or closed each hit is. Right. One of those is the act of closing the pedal by stomping down on the pedal, it actually triggers one particular note sample. But anything else is where it's been hit on the head with a stick. So it right. could be an A sharp one, it could be an F sharp one. And I'm randomly throwing those out. Those not, it's not necessarily the notes that it's doing. There's one, two, three, four, there's five different note hits that it has to the V-drum hi-hat and then all the foot controller data for the real time of how open and closed it is at any given point. Yeah. Point there is like there's a lot of data that comes in to, to trigger the appropriate sample. Mm -hmm. This is also something that you can do with Logic's drummer where you can control. So instead of having to program each hit, here's going to be slightly more open, here's going to be slightly more closed, that type of thing, you yep. can have it done with expression data that you're sending yes. underneath as well. So it's a similar concept there. You're getting a lot of data from the V-Drum as the input there, and that mm -hmm. created some challenges for you because now I know that with some of these performances, you wanted to time correct some of them or at least tweak some of them. Yes. So you had to make sure that that controller data now is... Moving. Moving along with it appropriately. There you go. Most quantizing literally only affects the note hit, not, not the controller, the data, controller yeah. data. You have to be very careful about that. Or at least that's what I was going for when I started doing a little bit of these time corrections. It's very easy for the snare and it's very easy for the kick and the crashes and the toms. They generally don't have a lot of data going with them. The snare has controller data. Unfortunately, I cannot find a drum plugin that reads where on the snare it's hit 
by the V-drum. Only the V-drum head can do that, apparently. Yeah. If somebody knows otherwise, please let me know. I would like to know before I do any releases of these things. The other <laughs> thing that does that is the ride symbol can tell where it's been hit, but no drum plug-in deals with that. Really, the only data that plugins tend to work with is the hi-hat open and close kind of thing, and yeah. which sample you're using, whether it's a shank or a full hit or a closed hi-hat or a half open, whatever it is, and how open it needs to be. The rest of the kit to quantize is relatively easy, mm -hmm. but quantizing the hi-hats and retaining the feel of what the drummer's doing with the foot control is not so easy. And hopefully your drummer is sharp enough and well enough on the grid, so to speak, that you don't have to worry about it a whole lot. But if you don't worry about it, you can change an open hi-hat to a closed hi-hat with the movement of one click, yeah. <laughs> one tick. That's all it takes. And you can screw it up completely. Yeah, not a pleasant situation to be in because then it's you go down that rabbit hole and it, you're creating more issues then you're, then you're attempting solving. to solve, right? Yeah. Yes. It's tricky there as well. Obviously, when somebody is playing on an electronic kit, they have the feel and you don't necessarily have to worry about velocity levels and things like that, programming things. It's just done for you by the actual drummer. So that's great. Yes. But there can be issues with that as well if it's not triggering properly or whatever happens to be or timings are in your case, slightly off and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So what are some points that you would give to people when they're programming drum ports? If it requires realism, make sure that a drummer can actually play it. Otherwise, yeah. sky's the limit. Yeah. <laughs> that would be one of the things I would say. Yeah. And, and, and I, I would say on that note, though, because then you are people like me that are like listening to all this like metal shit where drummers today can just do these amazing things, right? Don't assume that a drummer with that technical ability is going to do a crazy techno death metal fill in your country track. It's not going to sound good, right? So <laughs> well, using that so. argument, like, well, a drummer could play it. Yeah, but it needs to be appropriate too. So Yes. What else? Another thing that I mentioned in terms of correcting things in previous episodes, velocity makes a big difference. And which particular sample you're using also makes a difference. Case in point, several of the songs that I've been dealing with, the drummer was using a rim shot snare hit for a lot of it and occasionally missed the rim and just did a snare. That sounds drastically different than a consistent hit. Sure does. Thus, you need to move to a new note to keep the consistency. Then within that, if everything is being hit so hard that it's full volume, it's probably not a bad idea to randomize the velocity a little bit, mm -hmm. maybe within a range of 5 to 10-ish in velocity levels so that it doesn't sound like it's just constantly being hit at full volume. As we mentioned, that can sound very robotic. Yeah, definitely. The biggest takeaway here is always like velocity. Pay attention to your velocity. Is it going to be full-on thing? Then you want higher ones, but don't be afraid to back those off as well, right? Yeah. So it makes it a huge thing. Same thing with the timing. The biggest caution here, I would say, is slight discrepancies are great. 
because it, it can add to the realism and again move away from the roboticism that we can easily get taking all these things into consideration you can end up with a really good performance that's just a programmed midi part with that we'll move on to our friday finds chris what have you got this week I saw something online that I thought was really interesting because on episodes where we talked about amps and things and recording guitars, the name Dumble comes up every once in a while. And, you know, I think there's like 10 guys that own Dumbles, right? <laughs> Vertex is a company that does guitar gear and pedals primarily, like a lot of custom stuff and things. And they actually have a pedal now that gives you the sound of a classic dumbbell called like Steel String Supreme. Vertex now have a pedal called SSS Double Preamp Stompbox. Get it? It's double. Mm. So, but actually that's a play on words on dumbbell obviously, but it actually has two kind of functions in it as well. And I thought that was really, really cool. So if you're going for that dumbbell sound, you don't have to find one and then sell your house. You can just get this pedal now. And I think it's at about, 250 bucks. So I thought that was really, really cool. The SS Double Preamp Stomp Box from Vertex is my find for this Friday. And what do you got for us, Jody? This is for those who are creating their studio, like actual physical space. If you're doing it correctly, you're going to have acoustic panels, hopefully made of things like rock wool or Owens Corning 705 or 703. There is a company that makes these things and you can buy them. It's ATS Acoustics. And they have a new thing now in that they will custom print images on the coverings of the rock wool and fiberglass. Nice. You can now get your family photos put on there, studio logo, a nature scene, modern art, whatever it is you want to put on there, they can custom print the covering for your acoustic panel. That's what I'm going with this week. That's cool. That's a little bit off kilter, but yeah, you spend so much time in the studio, you want to keep Look remembering that nice. you actually have a family there. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. yeah, very cool. While we've got your attention, we ask that you go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. You'll need to be on our email list in order to be eligible for future giveaways, and we'll make sure you don't miss any future episodes of this amazing podcast. Send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com with the word velocity, and you'll get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic or suggestion for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, contact us at the contact page and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode with that i'll say see you next week. have a good one everybody thanks for listening